Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will learn about the natural and spiritual realms and how these are being united as one in Christ Jesus. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about the physical resurrection of the body. He said in chapter 15, For Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by twelve, and after that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul's evidence lay in the accounts of more than 500 credible witnesses. Now, pre-Christian Gnostic teachings that originated in Alexandria, Egypt, generally despised the natural world and tried to introduce their heretical theology into the church often refuting the resurrection. Gnosticism teaches that we live in an imperfect world filled with suffering, and not necessarily brought about by human sin, but rather through the failings of its creator. They do believe that human beings are comprised of both a perishable physical body, as well as a spiritual nature, which they consider to be a fragment of the divine essence called the divine spark. But Gnostic salvation is not received through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. They view Jesus as the principal but not exclusive Savior who brings enlightenment to the ignorance of our true origins. And they believe that salvation is thereby brought about by the revelation from on high, from a messenger of light, particularly Christ, who they consider the logos of the true God. Salvation becomes a process of both self and divinely guided enlightenment. And ultimate salvation is enlightenment to awareness of the divine spark that returns us to our spiritual origins, forever becoming absolved of this imperfect physical creation. Gnostics, therefore, not only reject the bodily resurrection of Christ, they deny its very concept. Given the difficulty for human imagination to fully conceive the supernatural power of God, it's not surprising that some within the early church were naively persuaded away from their simple faith in Christ's resurrection. And nowadays, I often hear Christians say how bad this world is and how they long to go to heaven. After all, Jesus did say, seek first the kingdom of God, which he also referred to as the kingdom of heaven. But in Titus chapter 2, we read, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some Christians view heaven as a spiritual place, transcendent above this fallen world, like a home within the clouds. And this also contradicts the teachings of Yeshua when he said, for example, in John 17, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Therefore, we should not be looking to escape this material world, but rather we should be looking for Christ and his kingdom to be established in it, the natural realm, just as it is already established in heaven 
the spiritual realm. If Yeshua desired that we stay in the world, waiting and looking for the blessed hope of his glorious appearing, then seeking to escape this material world might sound a bit Gnostic. And while the world is fallen and corrupted with sin, God's purpose is ultimately to redeem it so that his kingdom would be fully manifest in the created natural realm. And we are reminded that when he made mankind in his image, the pinnacle of his entire creation, he said it was very good. So is heaven a spiritual place separated and far away from this created world? Or is it somehow a part of this natural one? Well, we're going to find out. After I received Christ in 2002, I remember how difficult it was for me to understand anything that existed beyond this physical world, and to a greater extent, to comprehend what would happen to my soul after I died. In reading the New Testament, I discovered that Yeshua rarely spoke of death, except for the final death of the body and the soul that would come after the final judgment. He and Paul generally spoke about how our bodies presently fall asleep. Asleep, I thought to myself. I didn't want to sleep for hundreds or thousands of years until the resurrection. Would my soul lose its identity as the person God created me to be? This idea of my soul somehow becoming separated from my physical body created anxiety, and rightfully so. What would my existence feel like as a spirit person, a ghost without a body? Not good, I feared. So I continued searching scripture and seeking the Lord for understanding. Some Christians do teach that our soul also sleeps until the day of our resurrection. But Paul refuted this when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul's words brought a level of comfort to me. At least we've been given assurance that when we die, we will be with Christ. But what part of us, just our spiritual soul or our soul fully united in a resurrected body? Well, this question, unfortunately, right now cannot be answered. We simply need to continue to believe and hope in the promise of the bodily resurrection. But there is an underemphasized miracle in the book of Matthew. We read in chapter 27, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Here we see a reference to those whose bodies that had fallen asleep. Their bodies died. But their souls were alive because of their faith in the God of Israel. And now they came to life in newly resurrected bodies. Yeshua said these saints were part of the first resurrection when he said in Revelation chapter 20, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So I believe the first resurrection is a dispensation of time that began the day Christ died on the cross. And those who are raised on that day are part of this first resurrection. And we who are in Christ, who have either fallen asleep 
or will remain alive until a second coming, are also part of this first resurrection. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The rest of humanity will be raised in what is called the second resurrection. Every person ever conceived or born will eventually rise from their sleep, some to eternal life in Christ and others to eternal separation from God. For us who are in Christ, the only unanswerable question again is the timing of Yeshua's advent and our resurrection. As we read in Matthew 24, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nonetheless, our hope is in knowing that we will one day rise from the grave to be with Christ, and we shall be kings and priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him in his kingdom, and we will be resurrected into physical bodies and shall reign over a physical earth, this natural realm. Christ demonstrated to his disciples that he had been raised in physical form when he said in Luke 24, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Interesting, our resurrected bodies will have flesh and bones? But somehow Christ was able to appear and suddenly disappear. It's like he existed in two realms, one natural and one spiritual. So there's something about the kingdom of God that is presently incomplete, a mystery. But let us discover how it all comes together. Paul wrote about the flesh from an alternate perspective. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 20, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Yeshua was evidently raised from the grave with flesh and bones and appeared to his disciples. And now Paul says that flesh and bones cannot inherit the kingdom. Was Paul contradicting the bodily resurrection? Yeshua shared a different but equally challenging parable about the resurrection when he said in Matthew 22, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Aren't the angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation, meaning the church? Are we now going to be resurrected as genderless spirit beings? Flesh and bones, angelic spirit beings, what exactly are we? Well, Paul gives us the answer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, which is sin. It is raised in incorruption without sin. It is sown in dishonor, unclean and unholy. It is raised in glory, sanctified and made holy. It is sown in weakness, mortal. It is raised in power, immortal. It is sown a natural body, spiritually dead. It is raised a spiritual body, spiritually alive. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man, Christ, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So we need to understand that any present reference to our physical bodies will always be attached to the fallen nature of Adam, and any reference to our future resurrected bodies will always be attached to the perfect nature of Christ. Paul did not deny the bodily resurrection. He was simply describing the order of creation. We were first born into a natural world with a fallen, spiritually dead nature that we inherited from Adam. Then we became a new creation in Christ, where we will be physically resurrected into the kingdom of God and made spiritually and physically alive in Him. Even though we wait for our bodily resurrection, sin is no longer part of who we are. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. How is this possible? I sin every day, often without realizing it, and I do so because our newly created being is temporarily dwelling within an old body that is still corrupted with a sinful nature. That's why Paul sounded conflicted when he said in Romans chapter 7, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Paul was tormented by his old sinful nature, even desiring to leave his physical body to be with the Lord. But he also understood the Lord had sanctified and set apart our new nature so that it cannot sin or be corrupted by our old sinful nature lest we crucify Christ a second time. Now, this does not give us a license to sin, but it does give us an assurance that when we sin, we are never under any condemnation. Discipline, yes, but condemnation, no. Our new creation is protected, and I like to think fully sealed and preserved for the day of our resurrection. And we praise the Lord that this decaying body will return to the dust of the earth where it came from, so that we may receive God's new eternal body. Just as we read in Genesis chapter 3, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. We need to understand that our spiritual body, which is the new creation in Christ, will never be fully complete without our natural resurrected body. In Christ, our resurrected bodies will be wholly united with our new spiritual nature, the new creation, to become one perfect being fully transformed into the image of Christ. We read in Philippians chapter 3, it says, For our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul affirmed this dual nature, physical and spiritual, existing as one created being when he said, As we have borne the image of Adam, even in the resurrection, we will now also bear the image of Christ. And the key word here is also. Our natural appearance inherited from Adam will forever remain part of our identity even in the resurrection. But our spiritual nature, which is the indwelling presence of our Holy Spirit, has come from our Heavenly Father. For this reason we read in Revelation chapter 5, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 
all the families of the earth will be represented in the kingdom of God. And yes, we will reign with Christ on this earth. Only it's the Spirit of God that unites us as one new man in Christ, not our ethnicities. For this reason, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And still our ethnicities bring diversity to God's kingdom, where we read every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And what about the new heaven and the new earth? At the end of the millennial kingdom, which is the 1,000-year reign of Christ and his church over the earth, there will be a second resurrection and a final judgment. We read in Revelation chapter 20, it says, And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. After that, we read about the new creation. John said in Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And guess what? We will witness God's workmanship in this new creation. And maybe just quite possibly, as his sons and daughters, we will participate in it as well. This newly created physical universe will be unlike anything we have ever seen. Revelation 21, it says, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. This city, the new Jerusalem, is the church, but it is also a city. Can this be possible? Yes, because in the new creation, the natural and spiritual realms will be finally united as one and forever inseparable. Heaven will invade earth, where we read in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And in the fullness of this time, the whole of creation will be in complete unity and exist in the oneness and peace of God forever. So therefore we read in Revelation 21, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.